0: Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys. As we before we dive into the message this morning on labeled, we are going to take a quick pause um, here at Olive Branch. I wanted to let you guys know that uh, um, we've got something going on that we want to be talking about and show you guys what's going on over the next few months um, here at Olive Branch. We want to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. It's been our basic um, mission statement now for the last year, and really pushing ourselves to live that out. We've asked you guys to connect with your neighbors, kind of build some friendships, to care about people, pray pray with them. Know what's going on in their lives. And some of you have gotten so far as you've invited them to church, and you've been having just an awesome, successful time at that. Others of you, not so successful. You've had your cookies returned and things like that. We've heard that story. Seriously, somebody had their cookies put back on their car that they'd given their neighbors. Sad. But um, we also have had opportunities for you guys to step forward, but maybe you haven't done it yet. Maybe you haven't quite invited that neighbor. You haven't quite brought them into into here. But I met a bunch of you out in the lobby over the last couple, few months, just waiting for a neighbor or a friend or a family member to show up. And I'll be honest, as you're sitting there, we all look at church radically differently. Don't you agree? You start, when you have somebody who is not a Christian sitting next to you, and I yell, amen, you're like, you know, there's kind of this um, concern about like, how are they going to take this? Is this how it's going to be? There's an awareness that comes into our minds. One of those awarenesses that comes into mind is that we consistently receive that you guys are some of the most hospitable people. You're willing to say hi, greet people, get to know their name, Welcome them to the church. And at the same time, um, as we've been walking around as a staff, and I've been walking around and looking, there's a sense that our, our building actually says, uh, we don't want you here. We, we go Goodbye. Stay away. It slaps them in the face. You say, what? What are you talking about? I want to show you some of the things that I'm talking about. These are some of the nice little screens and uh, cracked, uh, cracked flooring. We've got a, now an officially condemned patio cover outside. That's why you've got the caution tape around it. You've got all kinds of um, rust and metal problem and damage going on. We were just kind of running around taking photos of everything, including the carpet. Now, that stain down there in the bottom right and all those runs and and rubs and all that is is natural for carpet. Um, In fact, this carpet um, is the original carpet installed in the building in the year 2000. Now, we've stretched that out a long, long time. Pat yourself on the back, right? Except for the fact that when you invite your neighbors here, this is the same carpet their kids are crawling around on gross. So I want um, to just talk about the fact that it's, it's beginning to fray. It's beginning to fall apart. We know this, we've been looking at it and we've been um, talking about other aspects of just kind of the inhospitality that have been just kind of showing its face on the campus. You're like, Greg, why are you showing this now? Well, uh, we want to deal with it. And one of those other inhospitality is what we, we like to call our carnival o courtyard. Um, when you, we want to, first of all, thank you. If you've ever been a part of our setup team and some of you guys attend the service, we just want to say thank you for what you've been doing over the years, putting out that stuff. Can we just thank them? Because that is a lot of work. They get here about (laughs) six in the morning on Sunday. Thank you guys for doing that. But one of the things we want to do is realize that, hey, you invite a friend or you come to church and we tell you about the big night out and we tell you about this opportunity over here to go to the James Project and this thing over here to do that. And you're sort of like, Okay, where do I go to sign up for this stuff? And we go, oh, go to the app. That's what we say now, but you don't have an app. You, don't, you haven't put that on your phone. You're not, you're not sure how to do that. So you're like, no, where do I go? And we go, well, if you want to sign up for the big night out, you go on that side of the courtyard to the uh, marriage family thing. And if you want to go over here to find out where your kid went, you got to go to the info counter, which is now officially gone. Anybody notice the info counter is missing? if you stole that, we need to know where it went. I'm just kidding. We moved it out of the, out of the lobby on purpose, um, as part of what we're starting to do to kind of, brush up the location, um, and this runaround that we can get into where we're not sure where things are limits people from signing up. And so there's a couple of moves we're trying to do to reassess our hospitality and reassess our, our church. Notice that we've got the windows that used to be on the left over here on your right that are gone. They've been uh, sealed in. This is helping us save money on our um, air conditioning and not burn people in the process because if you ever touch those windows, you went to the hospital. And, uh, Sometimes I'm joking. Sometimes I'm not. And one of the other things about us is the lobby area is something we're trying to become less of a hallway where people just rush through and somewhere where you can stop. But also that makes it difficult because we want people to hang out in the lobby, but let's be honest... It's been hot, and our courtyard is hot, and it's miserable out there. And so we've got some plans. One of them is our shade sails that we're looking at and installing some shade sails out onto that front, uh, that front courtyard so that in the summer months, we might actually hang out as a church and stick around a little longer instead of going like... This is miserable. I'm going home, which is a lot of what we end up voting to do, and we um, lose out on time of getting to know each other, of feeling like one church because we're such in a move to get out of the heat, and we understand that, so we're trying to solve that solution along with some other added ideas of adding some more seating areas, some other pieces like that. We're planning on reflooring, and we'd like to see the carpet redone and some of the flooring redone for the tiling out there. Catch us up on the up, on the uh, image a little bit, and that whoops, I'll get back to that in a second, and that has some. Other um, images around here that you can see if you want to look at some of our setup. Now, in addition to that, is taking all the runaround. We're, we're going to centralize everything to one thing called Connection Central. It'll be showing up here in the first week of October, and where it is is the one stop. Basically, if you want to sign up or you want to find out where your kids went because they were you dropped them off one place and now they're in another location, you go to Connection Central. If you want to sign up for the big night out and for a men's event and for something else. All you got to do is go to Connection Central. They'll give you the information. They'll sign you up. We already have people training on this. And we already have people ready to go with with uh, some, not iPads, just some tablets. That would be expensive. But tablets, uh, some tablets that work fine with our app. They sign you up. They get you up. They can help you get your own uh, app on your phone. All of this is just to focus us in, to give us a little bit more of a one-stop And so you know where to go. In addition to that, for that hospitality is that we also understand some of you guys have invited friends and neighbors and it's been difficult to get them to Sunday morning because let's be honest, if you're not a Christian, Sunday morning is a very special time. Isn't it? Especially during football season. And uh, it's, an, it's that time of, of life where you stay home, you sleep in, you get as much sleep as you can because you were hanging out on Saturday night. And so we, we understand that. And in addition to that, there are quite a few of our family members who are starting to actually not be able to attend Sunday morning. Um, we have one family, uh, the Rios family, who has faithfully been serving on Wednesday nights in our youth ministry for years, two years by now. And it's because he can't make it on Sunday mornings. He can't go to church with his family, so he chooses to serve somewhere. That's a dedicated person, first of all. I love John for that. But at the same, but at the same time, there are people like Mandy, who runs our school. And she, her husband works on Sunday morning, and she comes by herself. She's effectively a single mom on Sunday morning with all of her little kids and we had other families that have had that same situation chosen go elsewhere because they don't have a place to go and that's why that next slide is so important it's a saturday night evening service we're planning on opening this up november 1st for your friends and for those of you who are not able to make a sunday morning or excited about this particular thing um, i'm a i'm looking forward to giving you guys an opportunity in fact uh, some of you guys have. How many guys ever have had to leave due to a sports engagement? Ever had to like rush the first service, get out of here, and don't be embarrassed. I'm not going to like ream you for it. Oh, how dare you! You know we get that, and here's the reason why. Many of you do sports. You tell, you've, you've told me over the years because hey, we want to evangelize to our friends. The problem is those people are dedicated to sports. Where do they go? How do you get them to a Sunday morning when they they got to rush their kid to a sports field? They're going to be early at that. They're the team mom, they got to set up the banner, make sure the drinks are there, or run the snack bar, whatever that is. Saturdays offers you another opportunity to connect with those sports families to give them a place to come to for church. And we want to invite our neighbors to this kind of event. Now, all is said, all this combination of information and things is is a big deal because um, it requires about three things. Um, First of all is that we, we would pray over these. We really need you guys to be praying over the over these various things, the service because there's needs for ministry there's needs for uh, opportunity for people to come in, but there's also needs financially for all the other pieces that are going on around here. so we want to invite you guys to consider that a second is to consider maybe you 'd be willing to give into our um, our uh, building fund towards the carpet and towards these kind of things, unless you like it and you want to crawl around on the carpet and that 's cool with you okay um, unless you want to help us out we, we are looking to fix some of these things here 's the beauty of what giving can do and what prayer can do. Um, The patio was determined dead and we can't put kids under it. It's dangerous. And you saw the caution tape. One of the parents in the school said, what's up with the caution tape? And we told them what's going on. And they said, no problem. And one parent from our school, they don't even go to our church, is paying for the entire takedown and reinstallment of the entire patio area. That's incredible. So... That 's not even an olive brancher, and so I want to encourage you that if you have the means and some of you do to be able to say, "Hey, you know what, I care about this hospitality, I care that my neighbors and my friends see that we take care of our stuff because we want to present that that good stewardship. We want to present not only that we care for our building because we want to care for souls, God entrusts people and supplies to us. We want to do right by these things, and so giving is one of those options i 'm not going to belabor that you know as an olive brancher, you know if that's valuable to you, but last Lastly is service. And Saturday nights requires a lot of different kind of ministry service. Some of you have been asked and you've already said, yeah, we're going to Saturday nights. We're willing to step up involved in ushering or in, um, in giving or the fit team or, co- or we're not going to have coffee, but like drinks and stuff like that. Thank you for that. Thank you that you'd be willing to come to Saturdays and serve on Saturdays. But others of you have taken an even bigger leap. You were asked by our children's ministry or one of our worship teams, um, would you be willing to serve on Saturday night and still come on Sunday morning? Because that's what it takes to be part of our children's ministry is to serve Saturday night and be willing to show up Sunday morning as your church service. And some of you have said yes, and we just want to thank you for that. I want to thank you personally for that. And if you've been asked that and you said yes, thank you so much. There's a handful of you that have done that. Some people might come and ask you. And I hope that you would say yes and you'd be willing to take that. If God's calling you to that, let us know. There's a lot of opportunities available for service. And so these are the things that we're excited about doing this. And over the next few months, we're looking to do this. Some of this stuff is going to be a year long. Um, it's going to take a while to put shade sales up or fix bathrooms and stuff like that. In some places we're waiting for funds. We're not going to spend money we don't already have. Um, so as it comes in and it's, and it's right, we're going to do that for that project. So we want to encourage you guys that we're working on those things. If you've noticed them, we're excited about seeing it cleaned up and looking fresh and new and uh, exciting around here. So thank you guys for just your attention on this. Let's pray over these things, and then we're going to get into the, into the Word. So, Father, um, as people who have chosen from all the churches in town to uh, attend here at Olive Branch and to be part of this family... God, we ask that you would hear our cry right now, that you would see and fill in our need. Lord, we know that um, we are to be good stewards, and we've done our best to um, to allow these things to last as long as they can, and now we are in need of these uh, pieces to be uh, put together. We ask that um, you would bless some people um, amongst us or around us, or bless me to uh, win the lottery or something like that. So. Uh, we can, uh, we can give towards these things. Um, actually, we just ask that you would also just uh, bless that maybe other people could step up as they did through the church. Lord, but ultimately we wanna honor you. And so enable us to do that. Enable us to honor you with what you've given us. Enable us to honor you with our service. And if you've called us to serve that Saturday night or to fr- invite a friend, enable us to do that. We ask that you would um, just see these needs on our heart and that you would meet them in Jesus' name. Amen. One final thing before we go in. If, the, if you did indeed uh, think Saturday is a good idea or you have some information, if you have the app, we have a three-question survey we'd love you to fill out. Um, it, actually, anybody can do this, and we just are gathering information about Saturday evening service, so let us know with that app. Otherwise, um, with our other designs here, we are, uh, you can see all of this information out there in the lobby. It's there to look at. Otherwise, we're going to get moving. Um, how many of you guys have ever had those told to you by a child or a friend? Hey, take a look at this. Anybody had that happen? I, I have it happen routinely in my life. When you have four children, kids love to run up to you and say, hey, look what I can do. Um, especially the younger they get, the more they need you your attention. Jonathan, my, my, um, not my youngest boy, but my next, my middle boy, he's, he's that kind of kid. When he was four years old, I was roaming through the house one day, and he comes running up to me. and says, dad... Come take a look what I can do. And I'm like, okay. And so I step outside and he gets up onto the trampoline. and I'm going, what is he going to do on the trampoline? Usually it's one of those little cutesy things where they bounce on their back and bounce back up. And he goes, watch this. And he jumps, jumps, and does a full front flip. I mean, this is for, I have this on video at four years old. He's like, boom. And I'm like okay, let's not do that anymore. You know, that's kind of dangerous and freaky and you're four. Let's grow up a little older. Than but he kept doing it and kept doing it. And then this little kid loves to jump around on the trampoline. So you know how I felt when he turned about seven or uh, seven. And, I'm, and I come downstairs one day and he says, dad, come take a look at this. And I'm like, oh no, what are you doing? And I go into the backyard and he's like, watch this. And he bounce, bounce, full on backflip, straight in the air, legs straight. And I'm like, Oh god he's going to die this is this is not lands it boom Want me to do it again? I'm like, well, no, I don't want you to do this again. I mean, he would, I and mean, he goes, keeps doing it. Boing, boing. He does better backflips than he does front flips now. And, but it's one of those moments as a dad where you know your heart stopped, you died somewhere in the midst of his backflip, and now you're back alive. But I can still remember as a kid getting all excited, coming to my dad saying, Dad, take a look at what i done. Take a look at this. Maybe you remember that. You had an art piece, or you had something you did at school, or you played something on an instrument. You're like, take a look, check this out. That's part of our heartbeat. It's part of being human that we run to our parents to do this. In fact, it continues to happen even today as an adult. I guarantee you, you're hoping somebody notices. Because you're going, take a look at this so I can get the raise that I've been looking to get. I hope they take a look at this so I, I can make it up into that next position. I hope they take a look at this because this took a long time. Babe, I hope you see that I did this in the house because I finished. You know, there's a a reason we all have this in our hearts. There's these things that we do where we actually want our performance to matter. We want what we've accomplished to be shown. And this is what I'm calling labels of performance. It's these times in our lives where we stand up and we say, take a look at what I've done. See what I've done. And these labels of performance come from our achievements and our status. And it's not a problem for us to have labels of performance necessarily, but they can be dangerous. See, here we're talking about how well you or I achieve something. And, and this is really, honestly, a, a big, big, big deal for men. I mean, men have um, since throughout time and women, it it hits you guys too. Don't get me wrong, but men are more wired towards success drivenness and business drivenness in in, in their essence. And, And I mean this because I've met many women who retire and they're just like ready to go. They're busy. They find, they have lots to do. Men, we go into a slump. You ever notice what a man does when he retires? He's depressed. He just loses it. He's like, where do I go? What do I do? I don't know if I even count anymore. I've met men who are out there and we're working hard. We want to hit that next line. We want to hit that next thing because we want to prove something to us. We want that next line of, of, of income. We need to get up to that next position. Some of us, we've just given up. It just hasn't worked. We're just kind of like, oh, I can't do this. Many men walk around with a feeling of insecurity that though they've been given the position, they're going to be found out that they're a fraud and they've never earned it. And in fact, the biggest proof that men are about accomplishing things and showing that we are competent and capable of doing this is because anytime, ladies, you tell us something, we want to fix it. We're not here to listen, we want to fix it. Some of you guys are like, no, I don't want you to fix this. I just want you to listen to me. We're like, no, no, I got to prove to you I can fix it. Because we're driven by this need and accomplishment. Now, women, you're, you have your own things. You want to be successful as, as in, your, in your financial endeavors, in your work environments, in your home environments, you have the same thing. But it is a very powerful thing in our culture. So much so that when you meet somebody, it is invariably, if you're a middle class person or an upper class person, to walk up to somebody, shake their hand, and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. Hi, I'm so-and-so. So what do you do for a living? You ever notice that's our lead question a lot of times? And it's because we value people by what their utility and their thing is that they do in our society. In the ancient world, you didn't walk up and say, hey, how you doing? What do you do for a living? You walked up to somebody and said, hi, I'm so-and-so. Hey, who's your daddy? That was your first question. Who's your dad? Where'd you come from? Where do you live? Where are you staying? These were questions you asked because those were more about who a person was. What's your lineage and where do you live? Told you a lot more about a person than, hey, what do you do for a living? Because most of the time you got an answer, I go out back in my house and I dig in the ground and make sure the plants come up. That's, That's what you did in the ancient world. But nowadays, with so many jobs and so many things, we focus in on this idea of what do we do for a living. Your utility is your value. Your standard of living is important. The term "standard of living" has been invented, and it means how much money do you make and how comfortable are you. So much so, this is so deeply ingrained that in, that even in the Western world, that in Iceland and the United in Iceland today, they've done this as they say perfectly. For us in the United States, we're fighting to not do this, and that is to abort children who have Down syndrome or mental ailments because we don't think their standard of living will be good. It will ruin my standard of living. And children of, who, are, who are going to be born with different mental disorders and problems, going, or actually genetic disorders and problems, are being aborted, number one, because of their utility. In fact, the argument in abortion has turned now into the argument of, do we want them or not? That is a question of utility. That is a question of value. And we live in a value of performance labels that drive us and push us. But we're not different. We're not different from the ancient world. It was, there was places you would find this too. In fact, in the book of Philippians, we find it um, writ large. And in the book of Philippians chapter 3, if you want to go there, you, we'll, we'll reference back this, uh, in this in this message. But what I want you guys to hear is that, God, that it wasn't unknown Philippi was a town in which many military men retired. It's basically the San Diego of the ancient world. If you were involved in the military, you lived in one town. San Diego is a great place to retire. These men would work their lives working for the Roman world. And the Roman world for the army was the only way to get out of poverty. If you were a poor man, you went into the, if you could, you got into the Roman army because then you were promised land and you were promised a paycheck for the rest of your life. And so you went into the military to try to succeed and rise up the ranks as best as you could in the Roman army. And many of those who had succeeded landed in Philippi when they retired. Centurions and generals lived their lives out in Philippi. And so when Paul meets these men who are coming to faith and he's talking to them about this world of success and drivenness, there was a group of teachers who had risen up and said, you want to be right with God? Be successful with God. You want to be right with God, make sure you read your Bible and you go to church on Sunday and you make sure that you've done all your appropriate washings and make sure you're a good little Christian boy or a good little Christian girl, and then you're right with Jesus. And Paul goes, excuse me? That's not the gospel. As much as the world wants to say that's what we claim, that's not what the Bible says. And so he says to them right at the beginning, Oh you want to hear about confidence? You want to hear about the ability to succeed? You want to hear about the labels of performance? Let me tell you some. Beginning right here in verse 4, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Notice when he starts with his status, he says, Look, I was circumcised on the eighth day, not something he could accomplish, but it was done for him he Anything goes on. I was born of the, the people of Israel. I was the tribe of Benjamin. Hey, we had the first King Saul. It's a pretty prestigious group of people to be a part of. And he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning he was raised with the Hebrew language. He, he spoke Hebrew. He didn't speak Aramaic. And so he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, his accomplishments, he was a Pharisee, one of the strictest sects. As to zeal, As to his passion, he persecuted the church he was so willing to do something about his faith. And as to righteousness, meaning all the right standings with God according to the law of of the Jewish religion, he was blameless. He had accomplished everything you could set out to accomplish. He had this status that you could have status. And so he was saying, you want to talk about this? Here it is. I have it all. I have all the labels of accomplishment. I'm a CEO. I make three, four figures, whatever figures you want, whatever is big for you. I've got, look at me, I've got this family and my marriage is intact and I'm successful. My kids are successful, therefore I'm successful. You name it, you paint the way that it falls into our laps. This is what's going on. Now, He calls it confidence in the flesh. I'm confident in what I can accomplish. I'm confident in what I can do. I call it a label of performance. And both of these are dangerous. And here's why. The value of a performance label is set by the audience you're performing for. Your value of how good you are how good you can do and how talented you are and how great your talent is is set by the audience that you perform for. There are people out there, they perform for an audience of one, themselves. It's all about who they are, what they do, and how great they are, and what they can accomplish. We often call these people narcissists, because everything that they do is about them, and they could never do any wrong. In fact, check me out. Look how amazing I am. Look what I did. Ha, ha, ha. And a narcissist is a dangerous person, because they're not inwardly able to assess who they are, but they are out for every accomplishment and ability, because they're just proving to themselves how good they are. Most everybody else on earth is probably not performing for themselves. You're probably performing for other people. It starts off with performing for our parents. Maybe your parents were like, you got to get the A. And you're like, I got the A. And they're like, great job. Or you didn't get the A. And you're like, I'm going to prove my can. Or maybe you're at your workplace and there's this one group of people, somebody out there that you think gives you value. If they would just acknowledge what I did, then, then I would be somebody if that group would acknowledge it, I would get that raise. If that group would just see that I'm a good I'm good at what I'm doing, if more people would just come to my church, that's the that's my that's the pastor version. Honestly, if people would just give more, if I if we could do the I would be then I would be somebody. That's a performance label. And a performance label is is it shows up in all kinds of areas. It shows up if, if my kids would just walk with the Lord then I would be a good Christian parent. And so what we need to see is that these labels are set by the audience that we're asking to give us value from. And what we're doing wrong is we're putting the value in the wrong location. We assume that if I just do stuff, then I'm a valuable person. I'm a utilized person. I'm good for society. But the problem is that's not how it works. You're already valuable. See, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, God said you're made in his image. That he created the male and female and he blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And he's telling them, listen, here's what you're, here's what you are. You're made in my image. You're innately valuable. If you have little brain activity and you're sitting in a bed, you're still in his image. If you don't have the ability to move your arms and legs because you've been a quadriplegic, you're still made in his image. You're still infinitely valuable. You are still as valuable as that CEO at a grand, huge company that's doing all kinds of stuff in the world. Your value is not determined on your success, your attainments, or your prowess. It's valued on the fact that you're made in God's image, and you still have things that God has for you to do. No matter what state you're in, God desires that he would see that you are not who you, what you do. You are not what you succeeded at. And it's hugely important because yes, we're made to work. We're made to get out there and do stuff. That's not the question. I'm not saying no, so you don't have to work. No, we're made to work. We're made to get our hands dirty. We're made to develop things. You are made to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the whole world. Yes, that's the calling to bring God's order and beauty and creativity into this world. We've already talked about that in the past message. But I want to remind us that, guys, it's not about performing for all these other people. Maybe we were smarter as children than we realize. Maybe it really is about us saying, hey, daddy, look. So the person we should be performing for is really God. See, perform for God and do it from the status that he's given you. If we are seeking to label ourselves by our performance, you will find your value and your label and your status in your hard work. And that's not going to stay very long. It's not going to last forever. And that's why Paul puts it this way as he continues in Philippians all those great things that he succeeded in. Take a look at he, what he sums them up to. He says, But whatever gain ha- I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. be found in him. We'll just pause right there for a second. Do you see what he's saying here? Seeing all this confidence in the flesh, all this stuff that I've attained from my performance, all these things that I'm trying to get from being somebody. You know what I consider those? Look at the the second to last line and the first word. What's that word? Say it out loud with me. Rubbish. Say it. Rubbish. Rubbish. Not rubber made. (laughs) Rubbish. Not rubber. What is rubbish? The word is scubala. Love this word. It's the reason you cleaned your feet when you walked into somebody's home. Because what you did with your scubala is you threw it out of your house. Because scubala is really anything you and I would flush down a toilet. It's nothing you would have. It's the closest word in the whole Bible to a cuss word. Because it literally means poop in the toilet. He counts. Everything that he's done, all of his accomplishments, everything that he's attained to, all of his great status, all of his achievements, is worthy of being flushed into the sewage. Rubbish. Garbage. Sewage. He considered it all that way. Willing to be flushed down a toilet because of what he found in Christ. Now you want to talk about something that does not compute in the american mind say that to your average person dude I, oh, it doesn't matter that i'm ceo it doesn't matter that i've i've achieved this football success and i'm a multimillionaire and that i consider that all garbage compared to jesus huh i know most christians would say huh i say huh when i first start thinking about it cuz i have to be convinced of the lie i have to be convinced that all this attainment and all this riches and all this stuff is worthless compared to Christ. How is that? I mean, really, so you viscerally feel it so you know it's true. How is that true? Because it sure would be nice to have a nice car. My house paid off. My kids are able to go to the nicest schools and or everything paid for at school. That'd be great, amen? Don't amen that. No, just kidding. But it's true. And I love it. Life would be so easy or something like that. But that's the lie, it's not. And he, Paul says it's not. In fact, you have something that's way surpassing some great riches. He goes on, now having the righteousness now of my own that comes, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ, Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, He says, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. It's like, what is this stuff? How is this valuable suffering and and this righteousness that's from, what is he talking about? We go back to another book, a book called Ephesians, and he kind of lays this out. He says, Look, even when we were dead in our trespasses, meaning when we were broken away from God, we were striving here to make ourselves look good and be good and feel good from everybody else and from everything else and from the gods or whatever it is because something's broken inside. We don't feel valuable innately. We're not settled and sure that, hey, it doesn't matter, I could lose everything and I would still be me. And so we are broken there's this removal that God was supposed to give to us we've been removed from him and that's what it means to be dead in your trespasses you have no relationship with God and yet this is what God does for us he made us alive together with with Christ by grace not by earning, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so in the coming ages he might show the measurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What is he talking about? Christ was raised from the dead, exalted in glory. He sits on a throne in which the angelic hosts and all the earth obey his commands. And he says, you and I are seated with him. You and I have riches with Christ that are incomparable. Yes, yeah, sure, you can work your tail off to get a little bit more money. You can work your tail off to get a little bit more status. But you're already the sons and daughters of God. You're already the citizens of heaven. You've already been granted the riches forever and ever. You will never be in need or want again. Which paycheck is more valuable? Because one's going to disappear in your paycheck from taxes. And other things. The things about this is that these are immeasurable riches and grace and kindness towards us. He goes on, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, performance based Americans. This is not your doing. It's not a result of works that no one can boast. You don't earn this, it's not credited to you because you're a good person. You may be a good person. God bless you, keep being a good person, but it doesn't make you right with God. Be the best moral person in this place. You could look at me and say, you're a disgusting human being and you'd be right. And you would still need Jesus too. Because it's about the gift. It's not about the goodness of the person. You'd be the rotten, nasty human being in this room, hiding sins that you'd never want found out. And Jesus still gives you the same gift. It's the gift of life, of amended relationship with Him. Why? So that no one can boast. We're his, and for we are his workmanship. When you receive that, check this out. You're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. These good works are not about making more money. He didn't say, hey, I've saved you so you can have a better status, make more money, be more comfortable. That's a health, wealth, gospel presentation. That is not what God means. What he tells you is that, no, what I'm making you is to become a great person who walks on this earth and does great sacrificial things. The heroes of the ages, people that we look at and we go, how in the world did they do that? Though they were not perfect, they did amazing things because they were willing to sacrifice and love others. And you can go, that's why church history is important. You can go back and look at all these great saints who are men and women willing to sacrifice their lives for the sake of the gospel, to love other people. They ran toward the disease and not away from it. That's the kind of character and riches gives you a confidence so that you would engage this world without fear, a confidence that you could engage this world and know that you're enabling and, tr- and enabling the gospel to grow and change hearts and lives, not to make another paycheck that's going to go towards the road that you're driving on for several hours to get to work, so you can get the paycheck to get back on the road that you're going to pay for with that paycheck to get back home to pay for the house so you can sleep in the house just long enough to say hi to the kids to get them to their soccer games so they can leave the house with a successful time, get back on the road to get up, go back on that same road that you paid for, to get back to the work that's gonna give you the money to pay for that road that you paid for to get back with that car that you paid for. I mean, really, this is the life we want? we think that's successful? You know what I want? I want more of that. Because <laughs> that's attainment. Because then I just want the jet that flies me to work that I have to pay for that is a, Really? that's the lie. Or you can have eternity set with God and what your righteousness and your character is set that's transforming you today, that's developing who you are now and his presence is with you to secure you through danger and horror and can never be stolen from you. Though all of this could be taking you from one car accident, one bit of cancer, one, one stroke, you are one accident, one mess, one firing away from a failure and absolutely zero value in the eyes of our society. Which is worth more? And I think that which is permanent is far more worthy than that which is temporary. And that's why Paul says, when I examine what the cross has done, when I examine what I've been given in Christ, what I receive is far greater than something that's worthy of being flushed down the toilet. I'm not going to stand on these things. I'm not going to label myself by my performance. I'm going to go after something greater. God's given me the good works that I should walk in them. In fact, he's given me something more. He's given me the will to do it. And he, he enjoys it. Notice this, down at the bottom of this. It says all these things. He goes, we... Therefore, my beloved, as you have been always, you've always obeyed. So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, Paul's gone from Philippi. Saying, "Now, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let it come out of you. You've been saved. Now let it out. It's not. I'm saved. Sit on the bus and wait for Jesus, or the, the bench and wait for Jesus to show up with the holy bus so we can go home. No, that's not Christianity. It is." Work it out, let it out with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I can't do it, I just don't have the, I just don't want to do it, I don't have the will to do it. Then he'll give you the will to do it. He wills it and he works it. He puts the desire, the motivation and the drive and the ability in you to do the works that he's planned for you. Guys, he has not saved you to simply make nothing of you. He has saved you to make you into someone who can make much of him him by being a person who does great things in this world for his name. He'll will it in you. He'll motivate it in you. He'll put it in you. And so when you start to see this, God wants something from us. He wants us to do what? Good works. Whoa, whoa, Greg. Hold on a second here. Did you just say God wants us to do good works? No, 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 time out. That's legalism, Greg. You can't tell us we were supposed to do good works. You know, you obey commandments. That's, that's legalism. We, that's not how this works. No, actually, legalism is what we're talking about. If you're going to run for your value, that God would love you and hold you, and you've got to be a good person and perfect and straight-laced, that's legalism. What I'm talking about is living your faith out. What I'm talking about is letting it explode out of you. That you've already been changed. You've already been valued. You've already been shaped by God. And now it's time to let it go. You see, this we know is the, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. See, it's not legalism to obey God. It's love. It's legalism to try to earn God's love by being good. You're already loved. You're beloved, a child of God, a citizen of heaven, an ambassador on earth. You've already been given eternity. You have been saved from your sins. You're a saint, not a sinner. You have been sanctified. All of this is yours. And what do we do with it? We can it and we sit on the can. No. No, that's why you'd be shocked. How many times Paul presses us? And how many times the New Testament presses you to get moving in your good works, to start living out this life? In fact, what I want to say is we need to be have com, com, we need to compete fervently to love and honor to different people. Check this out. You say compete, Romans chapter twelve. Love one another with brotherly affection. No, we got that one. Our culture knows this one. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo? That means compete. I'm going to honor you. Not before, you on, not before I honor him. Oh yeah, I'm going to honor him first. You're like racing to honor people. This looks really strange. But we are chasing down. We're going to outdo each other. No, I honored him with this. Well, I'm going to honor him with this. Well, I'm going to honor him with that. I'm going to give honor away. I'm going to respect people more than you respect people. Oh yeah? Well, you know what Paul's getting at here? He's tapping into something. He's tapping into something inside humanity. I am a competitive person. Any competitive people in here? You're not as competitive as me. Well, maybe my daughter is, but you're not as competitive. I love that. So, (laughs) non-competitive people, you're not going to like the rest of this message. (laughs) Because this is competitive. You ought to be competing. You know why men are being sucked away by video games in this world? Because it gives them something to attain to. I got to a new level. I got to new stuff. I found a new exploratory place. I got to discover this new creature. Check out what I did over here. Exploring an amazing, ah! And we love it. What happened to? I bet I can't evangelize my neighborhood before you. And I'll put $1,000 on the table to make it happen. Dude, we'd be like, yeah. But we go, no, 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 that's profane. You can't do that with God's stuff. That's wrong. I agree. I'm not encouraging you to put money down. Why not compete though? Why not push each other? If you're supposed to outdo one another in in showing honor, why not being able to outdo one another in loving the Lord? I can't outdo you in the prayer closet? Oh, that's going to lead to pride. Not if we know it's not about really doing that, but pushing each other forward. That's his point. Press each other. Move each other on. Notice how he continues. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Don't be slothful in zeal. Well, I get to worship when I feel like it. I hate to say this, but you know what the majority stance of the worshiper at Olive Branch has been in the last two years? This. I don't know a time where you're supposed to be more zealous than when you're supposed to be worshipping the God who saved you from hell or gave you everything that you'll ever have for godliness in life, who sets his presence inside you and calls you his temple, who made you his child, who loves you with every ounce of his being because you are valuable to him, and we are slothful to be zealous for God. Hey, we need some help to serve one another in the church. We start acting a lot like sometimes I do at Thanksgiving dinners. People start washing dishes. Hey, you need help with that? Yeah, okay. You just let me know. That's called slothful zeal. We go like, hey, we need some help on a certain service or this or that. We go, yeah, yeah, you need help with that. Okay, yeah. Oh, it looks like somebody got that. Okay, cool, no problem. There's a lot of people here, you know. They'll all get that stuff. This is not the stance of Christianity. This is not the stance of Christianity. Be fervent, zealous, energized, passionate, excited, ready to go. There's something I can do to help. There's somebody I can serve. There's a disease I can deal with. Hey, there are people in the missions fields in other countries. How can we help? What can we do? How do we move forward? Let's do this. Hey, why are we backing down? We need to press forward. The gates of hell are gonna be challenged by the church triumphing towards it, not standing back. Let's go. Give me the sword gun. Give me something. I'm going for it. I'm going. Nobody's gonna get in my way. I'm zealous for this. This is energy. This is forward movement. This is action. This is not... Compete. Outdo each other. Press yourself. Push yourself unto good works. God's already laid them out for you to succeed. What are you scared of? Failing? You can't. He has good works set for you to do, and he's empowered you with the will and the desire to do so. And he said, now be zealous, energized. You know why we don't? Because if you do, you're a zealous Christian and zealous is evil in our culture, says the media. How dare you be excited about your religion? How dare you be excited to love your neighbor as yourself? How dare you be excited to love God, who is the God of love, who's told you to care and minister to people, to lift them up in their needs, to care for the poor, to help the orphan and the widow, to turn around and proclaim that anybody and everybody on the planet who is willing to receive the grace of Jesus Christ can go to heaven. How dare us be zealous to seek that more and more people would be saved from hell? don't believe that lie. Don't give in to the apathy. God has called us to be zealous. He's called us to be motivated. He's called us to compete, to be passionate, to push yourself towards the rewards that God has given you. Notice this. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, Paul says about his own ministry, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive perishable wreath, but we receive an imperishable one. They do all this hard work to get a a bigger position, to get a better paycheck. They push themselves to have nicer kids and nicer cars and nicer this and nicer that. And it all perishes. It goes away. We press ourselves to imperishable things, to greater character, to more beauty, to better transformation, to more service to people who are moved and motivated. We go that way. That's all garbage in the toilet. He says, you push yourself like an athlete. Motivate yourself. Move it forward. Don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. Keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's saying, we push ourselves to the good works. We press ourselves. We set ourselves to that character. In fact, he goes on to say, train yourself to live for God. Have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Stop getting distracted in all the garbage out there and all the entertainment. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, meaning, hey, looking cool and looking good with nice abs has some value. Godliness is of value in every way. Just because Mother Teresa wasn't buff doesn't mean she wasn't incredible. And last time I checked, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Mother Teresa, which one do we lift up higher? Godliness has a value in every is a value in every way, and as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come, the saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. Because we have our hope set in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. What are we toiling and striving towards? What are we pushing ourselves to get more stuff here? No, don't label yourself by your performance. Press On to the greater labels. Push yourself to the greater character. Motivate yourself to the deeper things of life. This is what you're here for. Not to sit in a chair, listen to a sermon, sing a song, get up and go home. No, it's time to live for Christ. To do the great things for Christ. To have the character that Christ has called you to. But it's going to take effort and zeal and pushing ourselves. You hear me? It's not going to be easy. I'm gulping on stage right now thinking about this because I've got to do it. And if you ask my wife, you'll know I'm the first one to go, oh, let's veg. <laughs> you know, there are going to be plenty of times in eternity to, to veg. I don't even know if we're going to want to. It's going to be so exciting. But if I need to veg, maybe I should just go to bed so the next day, I got the energy to do what God's calling me to do. Now, let's stop running on the rat race and start pressing after Christ You see, it's important that you and I understand that in the end, he's going to turn to us and he's going to say these words to people. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. If we assume that that's automatically given to everybody, first of all, to receive the terms well done, we have to do something. If we're going to be good and faithful servants, we're going to have to persevere through something. No, we weren't just blessed, done, and welcome. That's boredom Christianity. What he's done is he's blessed you with the status of his son and daughter, blessed you with the status of a citizen of heaven, blessed you with the status of the knowledge of him that we may not sit and just hold on to it, but we can release it and live for him and make his name more well-known, and show what it really means to have been transformed by Christ. And that's what I hope we'll be able to do. Let's be labeled by those labels of eternity and not by these labels of performance. Hey, the labels you wear shape the life that you live. So let's wear the right ones. Let's pray. God, we uh, do. We just lay ourselves before you. Uh, I'm I'm one of those people right now that needs to repent of holding on to the wrong labels, the labels of performance. God, striving constantly after things that are about me and the audience of the people that I want to say great job. But instead, it ought to be you, God. It ought to be about you. It ought to be about us saying, God, look what we did. Look what we're doing. And you say, well done. God, I think that well done or that excitement that you would be excited about it for me would, would be so much more fulfilling for all of us. We pray that that's what we would be living for living for your well-done, living for your, hey, this is my son in whom I'm well-pleased. This is my daughter in whom I'm well-pleased. God, help us to see the rest of it as just garbage that it is. Set us free that we may not just be transformed by you, but now to live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.